Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together in fellowship in your Son's good name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we never become familiar with this opportunity, Father, but receive it for what it is, a grace gift, motivated by your love, a love that is eternal, a love that motivates us to love you back, Father. What a privilege this is in time to be able to do so. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to spread that love to others, to show the very heart of your Son through the gospel presentation, Father. We pray for those, therefore, that are still lost and that we might be given the opportunity to evangelize them before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work to make all of this possible. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 22. Um, just a side note, uh, just a lot of things going on. Uh, I told you that it would happen. Um, it's just been sort of ramping up. A lot of, um, you know, attacks and stuff like that on the church, uh, especially. I was joking with Todd. I won't be surprised if this... this uh, I show up and this place is on fire one day um, because it's just uh, crazy um, the way in the predictability of the attacks. So when you teach something like this, um, there's just a number of distractions. So uh, just when you're prepared for it, um, it's easier. So just, uh, you know, and if you ever feel like sharing what's going on in your own life, um, I don't want to hear long sob stories, but short ones aren't bad. They didn't think that was too funny. Are you guys in a mood tonight? Is that what it is? It's Thursday night, and you're all tired. It's cold. Where's Thorkel? Anyways, the spirits had me thinking about the human conscience. Um, my own studies, as I reflect during the week on um, the deceitfulness of sin, because that's it's just boundless. The way that individuals, including uh, saved individuals are deceived by sin is just, um, it's boundless. Um, and so he's had me thinking from this angle this week, uh, the human conscience and how sin can go about tricking us, given that we each have a conscience that its job really is to decipher between right and wrong. That's what a conscience job is. For example, how can something seem so right, but yet by God's standards be so wrong, even for we believers? Unless we're being deceived, you see. How can something seem so right, but yet actually be so wrong? How does that happen, given that we have a conscience, right? Let's start with some basics up here on the board. Conscience is really... Two words, con and science, which equals with and knowledge. It means with knowledge. It means to know oneself, to have a conscience. A person's good conscience is based on data. Now, this is the pivotal point at the start of this evening. A, a person's good conscience is based on data. It is not the source of data. It is not the source. Rather, it is especially equipped to judge right from wrong. In other words, it can look at data and say, well, that's right or that's wrong. and That's its job. And that's it. That's what the conscience's job is, to decide right and wrong. Now, there are a few implications here. For starters, the human conscience is a function of something more primitive. Again, it is never the source it is a function of something more primitive. It's not the source. For example, if God were to say blue is good and red is bad, our conscience would then be able to respond rightly since it is able to view, quote-unquote, view the data and come to a decision whenever it encounters blue and or red things. That's the function of the conscience. 
However, things can get dicey if we stop hearing his word. What if we allow the God of this world to insert a counterfeit truth into our souls, like blue is bad and red is good? In other words, we have new data. False, but nonetheless data. Since our consciences are virtual slaves of whatever data we hold as truth, we might go on judging things wrongly. And even defending our beliefs along the way. That's why some of you can look back and say, you know, I defended false doctrines. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Got in fights, almost fist fights. How'd that happen? It wasn't your conscience fault, it was your data. You were misinformed. Enter the light of the Word of God. The supreme value of truth, which is light, is that it illuminates the places where data is stored in our souls, inserting divine knowledge, remember, conscience with knowledge, inserting divine knowledge and kicking out false knowledge. And for the record, only God the Holy Spirit has the power to do this for us by grace. That's why we say He's our power source, He's our uh, energeo, He's our true mentor and teacher. However you'd like to think about Him, He's the only one that can do that. He inserts true data, knowledge, the Word of God, into our souls so that we have a conscience that can respond to said data. So thinking about this, reflecting back, our first encounter with this phenomenon is at salvation, where the depraved heart and soul of man, you know, quote, thinks that living for self is the, quote, good thing to do. Isn't that what we do? When we're unsaved, the unregenerate person lives for self and then says, this is good. When they say life is good, they're talking about life is good for the flesh. And that's what we're raised up to do, feed the flesh. That's the data we've been given, right? We're, we're given that data even in school. Be all you can be. Be the best. Sorry, army guys. Be all you can be, right? right? And that's the data that gets pushed into our souls. And so when we go with our conscience, we say, well, what's right and what's wrong? Well, I guess it's good to be all I can be. I guess it's good that I can be selfish and self-absorbed and self-centered and, and, and chase this, you know, in America, the American dream and this whole thing and get all tied up because of bad data. So our first encounter with this is at salvation where the depraved heart and soul of man thinks that living for self is the good thing to do, but along comes the Holy Spirit shining the light of truth into our souls, and bam, we are convicted and held accountable to this new data. Our flesh despises the truth because it smashes that which enables it to control us. Remember Tashuka. It likes bad data. That's why so many of our lessons have been on definitions. What is good and who gets to define it? Kind of important, isn't it? to have the right data, to know that, you know, red is bad, and red is bad, and blue is good, and blue is good. That yes means yes, no means no, this kind of a thing. Our flesh despises the truth because it smashes that, that, smashes that which enables it to control us, namely false knowledge about our ability to live without God, without His love. When we are born again and saved, God gives us a new heart. And it's with this new heart that the new creature functions. And because we now have the capability of receiving divine knowledge, our conscience is no longer duped. So you see, doing what you're doing right now is actually a benefit to your conscience because your conscience is always looking to decipher between right and wrong. But you've got to give it something to feed off of. You've got to give it good data so that what comes out the other side is good. 
Sin is the darkness that cloaks the truth about God. It does so by lying to us and inserting false data into our souls. You know that television set? You know that it's okay? A lot of people, this is it this Sunday the Super Bowl is? A lot of people this Sunday are going to be looking at a bunch of idols and going, yeah, I should idolize them too. It's totally okay, young, fresh minds. Come over here, son. Let's idolize Tom Brady, or whoever you, you, the person of the hour is. Let's idolize this guy. Look at him. He's the MVP. That's who you want to be. But, Dad, why does he say anything about God? Ah. Just idolize him with me. That's sin, and that's darkness, and it cloaks the truth about God, and it inserts and lies about data, and it puts it in our souls, and our conscience being slaves to that data, reap what we sow, I guess. In a way, it specializes in confounding the conscience of man. Sin does. It presents man's conscience with bad data and says, this is truth. You can trust it. This is the way of Satan, the father of lies. Go to John 8.44. John 8.44. This is the way of Satan. It's what he does. It's what I'm learning he does best, really. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. He just has to insert lies. Just propagate false data. Because if people accept the false data as truth, even their conscience is screwed up. They stop making bad decisions based on bad data that they've accepted as truth, but that's not truth. So everything's backwards. And then they wonder, what's going on? Why can't I right this ship? John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Do you see how absolute that is? There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> it's what he does. He lies. He inserts false data into our souls. He propagates it through his world system. He takes advantage of our flesh because that's what our flesh likes. Do you see the finality of Satan's very nature here? The absolute inability even for him to do anything but lie? Such is the very nature of the human flesh, which is utterly polluted and overrun with sin. The Bible tells us it can't even help itself. It can't even help itself. It's all it has is that data. It can't receive data until it's Regenerated, because remember, spiritually praised things can't be known by an un unregenerate person. So all it has is bad data. <laughs> so you get the, quote, most well-intentioned person of all time, if they're unsaved, that's why they never produce anything good. Their entire data set is wrong. I'm sorry I'm talking like a nerd, but hopefully you're following along. Their, their entire set of data is wrong. Everything's a lie. It doesn't matter how good you think your conscience is as an unregenerate person, you're still going to produce zilch in terms of goodness. Only by divine intervention, by grace, can we ever hope to be saved or delivered from sin. It's a miracle, truth be told. Go to Romans 8.6. Romans 8.6. Very dire, isn't it? It's a very dire posture that we've been getting from God the Holy Spirit on this whole thing. Our starting point is just destitute of anything good. Our data set, everything we can make decisions on, is bad. Romans 8, 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Here it is, for it is not even able to do so. 
It's incapable. That's the, that's the picture of the flesh. It's not even capable to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Does that make sense? Because all everything's wrong. Nothing's right. No matter how you know, good they want to be. It's never for the love of God. It's always for the love of self. Their entire data set is strung together by self-righteousness. So everything that that produces is no good, and therefore God is never pleased. And it's a big old lie, because the world says it's perfectly good. Up here on the board, more on that. It is not even able to do so. The human flesh is totally depraved, incapable of performing any good deed in God's eyes. Only divine intervention by grace is able to save or deliver man from his destitution. Furthermore, man is totally blind, left to his own devices, his conscience judging good and bad from a poor data set. Remember, just think of a conscience as like a, a computer, right? Gazintas and gazadas, right? Something goes in, something comes out. It has to make a decision. This is why carnal man argues so vehemently against the truth. Because from his perspective, he is functioning in integrity. If I had a Muslim right now, presumably they'd be an unbeliever. I, they'd argue with me. They might want to punch me. I don't know. How would they do that? If they had a bunch of Muslims over there, they'd say, this is a very nice man. If I had a bunch of Christian friends over here, hopefully you guys would be there and say I was a nice man. How can we both be wrong? One of us is wrong. He thinks he's totally right. He's willing to fight me for it. I think I'm totally right. How can that be? Data sets. A man is totally blind, left to his own devices, his conscience judging good and bad from a poor data set. This is why carnal man argues so vehemently against truth. From his perspective, he is functioning in integrity. Nonetheless, as the Bible teaches us, it's not man's conclusions that count, it's God's conclusions that count. It's not man's wisdom that reigns supreme, it's God's. It's not man's self-made righteousness that reflects eternal goodness. It's God's righteousness. Man is born with a bad data set. And even his conscience arrives at bad conclusions because it can only respond to what is held as truth in its soul. So, to bring this full circle... One of the great miracles that we are given as believers is the baseline ability to gather good data unto ourselves. It's one of the great miracles that we're given. We're given a new, I call it a new faculties, new apparatus. Um, we have the ability to receive and digest that which is absolutely true from God in heaven. We get to set our minds to it even. This is how this all clicks, you see? We get to set our minds to that new data set. A data set, like Jesus would say, it's not for them to understand. We read the parables, we get new data. An unbeliever read, reads the parables, they're like, sounds like good moral stuff. And they may even do stuff. They may even respond to certain wisdom in the Bible. But you understand, it's self-serving responses. Ours is out of respect and love for the holy God of the universe because that's our new heart. That's the new creature. And because that is that way, it's pleasing. And because this is this way, it's never. So one of the great miracles is that we are given this new apparatus to gather good data unto ourselves. And it's with this new data this light of truth that our consciences are able to judge rightly between good and evil, right and wrong, 
light and darkness. It's as if the lights in a totally dark room have been turned on and we finally get to navigate the room with wisdom that sets us free. Why do I open up this lesson this way? Concentrate, please. The deceitfulness of sin lies in the darkness, in the things we don't yet have data for. The deceitfulness of sin lies in the darkness and the things we don't yet have data for. And when this is the case, we might do, you know, the best we can with what we've got, but it'll never be safe thinking until we have all the data, which in all practicality is not in this lifetime. But we can be sanctified. We can be pleasing to the Lord. We must concede that every one of us is still in the dark about something in our lives. Is that fair? Every one of us is in the dark about something in our lives. Which is why the old saying, you know, oh, a light bulb just went off in my head, is so accurate. It's because when the Spirit teaches us the truth about ourselves, convicting our consciences even with knowledge, remember, along the way, He essentially has turned on the lights in our souls. We are able to make good decisions at that point. You know, able to make good decisions. Now you've got a little thing called free will. In other words, your free will can always ignore what your conscience is saying. That's why your conscience will haunt you when you're doing the wrong stuff and you know it's the wrong stuff. Which is why we call that a sin, James 4, 17. Because you know it's wrong, and you're doing it anyways. But you see, God did His part, just like He promised. I'll insert good data. I gave you a conscience. Now that whole thing can function properly. Now you can come along and say, awesome, and run with it, and do things that are pleasing to God. Or your little old free will can say, Nope, I don't feel like it. I'm in a mood. (laughs) I'm going to do something different. But that's a whole other series, I guess. So we can't disobey or ignore the truth, of course. It's when all this happens that we are able to begin making better decisions and bring glory to God in ways never before even possible. Again, this is the value of our current passage. Let's read it again. Verse 6, Romans 8, 6. Still there, right? For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, the two principles I was giving you up here on the board on this It is not even able to do so. The human flesh is totally depraved, incapable of performing any good deed in God's eyes. Only divine intervention by grace is able to save or deliver man from his destitution. Furthermore, man is totally blind, left to his own devices, his conscience judging good and bad from a poor data set. This is why carnal man argues so vehemently against truth. From his perspective, he is functioning in integrity. So I hope you see what the Spirit's getting at here as it pertains to the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of sin and how it attacks us, how it inserts false data. Let me help you up here on the board. Sin's end game is to thwart the will of God. The most effective way to do this is to insert false data into the soul thus confounding the conscience. You see, all it needs to do is get you to take on a few bogus definitions. Some of you have learned an awful lot about love over the past few years. 
Some of you thought love was some, I don't know, stiff, sterile, unfeeling, unemo you know, just this, like, I don't know. Some of you thought love was like, just like pages in a book. Some of you had no heart for anything, anything, <laughs> for others even. And you're learning that that's not love at all. The greatest manifestation of love, Jesus Christ, he spent his whole life for others, laid down his life for others. We've, we've been learning that love actually is active, that it can't help but express itself. If it sees somebody in need, it helps them. With the disclaimer that it's not a want. It's not the American brand of, you know, need. It's a real need. Like, they're not going to eat. Or they're going to be out in this weather. That's all I think about. When it goes to 5 degrees, first thing, oh, it was like negative 50 in Minnesota, I think. What if you're homeless? Like, what do you do? And then like 3,000 people, was it 3,000 people? Lost their heat on, the, on that day out there. I'm like, what do they do? 50 below and you got no heat? Now that's a need. That's a need. <laughs> so we got to get that straight too, but I digress. Anyways... Sin's end game is to thwart the will of God. The most effective way to do this is to insert false data into the soul, thus confounding the conscience. Also, it's a lot easier to tempt somebody who's confused about something, isn't it? It's a lot easier to tempt someone who's confused about something. As a side note, I believe... This is why my job is so difficult at times. All of this, everything I've said up until now in this lesson is one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons why this, this job is it's almost impossible sometimes. That's what it feels like. It's because it is really hard to teach a group of people something contrary to what their own conscience has historically convicted them as being true. It's really hard to stand before a group of people who say, you know that conclusion you've arrived at for your whole life? It's wrong. I'm like, whoa, Nelly, wait a minute. It's wrong. I didn't say it. God said it. Like I just said about, you know, wants and needs. Let's face it, most of us here have no real needs. Maybe a sick person like Art or Frank or Betty taking care of Frank or, you know, uh, Jane taking care of Art. Whatever. Those are real needs. That's totally different. It's really hard to teach people something contrary to what their own conscience has historically convicted them as being true. Every human being until the point of salvation has run on false data. Every human being has run their lives on false data. And the human flesh stands like a sentinel guarding that data from corruption, from its perspective. It's got its own little forces, doesn't it? It's like a sentinel that stands out front and says, no, 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 bald man. You're not getting anywhere near what's behind this thing right here. I've been controlling this person for 40 years. And truth is not about, light is not even, I've got this whole thing sealed off. There's not going to be no cracks, no light's going to even seep through. The curtains are never going to be open. We're closed for business. That's what the flesh does. Because that's the holy grail, you see. Data. Truth. Wisdom, knowledge, that's the holy grail. <laughs> See, the flesh and, and Satan and, and our enemies, they're smart enough to concede all the white noise. It'll concede losses out here, but it won't give up this perimeter. Not to use a football analogy, but one of the things I really do like about the Patriots 
and Belichick's form of team. He said, go ahead, you can go 80 yards on me, but when you get in the red zone, I'm stopping you. That's his strategy. Why? Go ahead, kick a field goal. I don't care. You're not going to beat me with field goals. As long as I stop you right here. This is the red zone. That's the flesh. Doesn't want the doctrines that are so well-seated. All the religious ones. All the ones that, you know, for years pumped you up and made you feel good about that life that you've been living that is antithetical to Jesus Christ. All those things that you've been protecting for all those years. There's a, there's a sentinel out front called the human flesh. And then he sends a guy like me, just another dude, there's nothing special about me, who's sitting there with a pickaxe, pounding on it. Or if you prefer, the rod of the shepherd. But that's what it feels like. Picking at this thing. And, and, and you can see it in people's body language even. You can see it. It's not... It's palpable. People don't want the truth. That's part of the deception and the deceitfulness of sin. So the human flesh stands there protecting bad data, false truths, false doctrines, which is why when we receive a so-called difficult message, you know those ones that make everybody like laugh nervously from the pulpit, or we learn a difficult lesson in life, and we just kind of like want that day to go away, even though it was for our own good. It's not the new creature that is hurt. It's the flesh. I need you to think about that. It's not the new creature that's hurt. It's the flesh. The lesson's only difficult because it's pounding on the perimeter. It's in the red zone. Because we like what that has provided our lives historically, we don't want that to come in either. <laughs> like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I built my whole life around, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all these things. I may even go to the park and evangelize people and, 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 and jump on, you know, I might even go on the mission field. I'm not picking on Scott and Michael who seem to do these things, but I might do all these things that are, that are good, you know, and they look good on the outside. I'm not saying these guys don't do good things, you know what I'm saying, right? I can do all these things and, you know, I'm, whatever. But I'm not letting you pass this. Nope. My entire existence, including my self-esteem, is based on false data. That I am the center of the universe. That I'm only going to let this go so far. So what's a difficult lesson then? The new creature is like... This is music to my ears. I'm, oh, just give it to me, right? Thirsts, hungers for truth. That's the new creature. The flesh, oh, that hurts. Why does it hurt? If your flesh wasn't white-knuckling, false data, it wouldn't hurt at all. Your fingernails would still be intact. So I've been alluding to this for some time now. Even wrote a blog titled, The Things We Pray For that address the deceptive tactic of sinful flesh to misappropriate this pain as, you know, bearing one's cross. I'm just bearing my cross. It's tough. Why is it tough? Seriously, what are you complaining about? Why is it tough? Why would, why would it be tough? In all reality, it's merely old sinful lusts and passions having their backs broken by the word of truth. Old sinful lusts and passions having their backs broken by the word of truth. Hold that thought. Go to 2 Corinthians 7, 10. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Paul wrote a little bit about this. 
2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's truth busting through that wall. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Hmm. Up here on the board. The sorrow of the world. This refers to the sentiments and judgments the world clings to regarding the convicting conscience. The, quote, sorrow here is diametrically different than godly sorrow because it is induced by bad data. What, what, are, you so, what are you so upset about? Seriously. So you lost your job. You still don't have needs. If God provided so abundantly for so long and put you in an abundant nation that you still don't have needs. Not real ones anyways. So what's, the, what's all this sorrow over? The sorrow really is over you not being able to maintain a self-righteous, self-serving lifestyle. Yay! You don't get to self, set yourself up as an idol, as a local hero anymore. Boo! Nobody comes over your house anymore. Because now your, your poker table is only this big. It used to be a big, giant, felt octagon with drink holders. And heavy chips. Now you got those little, you know, those tiddlywink kind that make the funny noises. And you got one of those fold out tables. And you're drinking boxed wine <laughs> instead of the fancy stuff with the flutes, you know, ladies. Why does that never hit? That never hits home. The lady's like, stop that. You stop that, mister. That's the sentiment. See? I work hard. I deserve my vino. No, you don't. No, you don't. You deserve nothing. You deserve to respect the holy, sovereign, lovely, beautiful, amazing God, almighty God of the universe. How about that? That's what you deserve. You didn't earn anything, men and women. That's bad data. You're not a self-made man or woman. That's bad data. There's nothing fantastic about you. That's bad data. The only thing that's good about you is Jesus Christ. The rest is bad data. <laughs> but you see, you stand in front of that like, like there's something about you. That there's something special about you. Oh, I'm amazing. Not only am I smart, I'm beautiful. I'm handsome, I'm jacked. That's Scott does, right? Can't go to the gym. I got to make sure I got to go away from from the gym because I stumble. He wears like these skin tight wife beater shirts. Like he's flexing. I'm like, dude, man, stop. This has never happened. I'm just trying to make you laugh because it's it's really like I'm telling you, it's hard to teach this stuff to a group of people, and I'm I'm in the same group who have set themselves up on a bunch of lies. And the only sorrow, the only difficult part, is letting go. That's the deceitfulness of sin. You don't want to let go. Some of you are still saying in your head, la, 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 la. You know what? You're not ready yet. I get it. Been there. You're just not ready yet. It's cool. Just don't cast it out as as something that's wrong, because it's totally right. You may not be ready for it yet. So the sorrow here is diametrically different than godly sorrow because it is induced by bad data. For example, sinful doctrines and the flesh are being offended. Again, I submit that this is why this series is laced with difficulties in teaching. 
My consolation is knowing that it isn't my job to convict you of the truth, for I am merely a vessel for the Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to actually shine light and hence take responsibility for convicting you thereafter. Thank God. I couldn't survive it. Bad enough having to ram my head against that wall. To be in the red zone and try to progress on what I see. That's bad enough. Again, verse 10. You still in 2 Corinthians 7? For the sorrow of that is, according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Again, the point on the board, this refers to the sentiments and judgments the world clings to regarding a convicting conscience. The sorrow here is diametrically different than godly sorrow because it is induced by bad data. That's the whole point. Verse 11, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you, that vindicate, or what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. Up here on the board, all I could think about as I was preparing this was this point here. Truth is like a sledgehammer on the back of sin. It is crushing. And what happens when you've got a vault of sin that you've been protecting since you were a baby? Truth is like a sledgehammer. And the thing that it's beating on is in pain. And it's writhing in agony. And you feel it because you kind of have this connection to it that you don't want to let go. And we play these games like, you know, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. He's carrying my cross. You sure about that? You sure you're not carrying around a pile of dung? You sure you're not protecting this thing? You sure every time God the Holy Spirit convicts you of the truth, that you don't make a bad free will decision against it? You find a way to somehow sidestep it? You find another way to manipulate it in your soul so that that want is never identified anything other than a need? God forbid it be exposed for what it is, a want, not a need? There goes your cross. There goes your cross. Because you ain't suffering for anybody but your flesh. It's not carrying a cross when God asks you to give up something that your flesh wants. <laughs> That's bad data. <laughs> That's not carrying a cross. That's you not letting go. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I could get up here and lie like a lot of pastors do, or so-called pastors, and tell you that is carrying the cross. But he'd probably shoot me, he'd probably run me over in the parking lot if it wasn't one of you <laughs> first. This is for Jesus. <laughs> you told me if you ever fell off to get out of here. I'm just going to run you over on my way out. <laughs> because nobody likes the truth. Your, your new creature does. Not the old one. That's part of the deceitfulness of sin. Remember, light always decimates darkness, which is why those in love with darkness, you know, those who love themselves more than God or others even, they run from it. Why do you think, I was talking about this with my family this evening, why do you think we've lost so many members of this congregation over the past few years? Why? It's because most people do not want the truth. It's that simple. They do not want the truth. It is literally that simple. Where is everybody? Honest to goodness. They're still living a lie, saying that their lives are more important than this. No matter how much I teach it, no matter how much I try to encourage you, to, to keep assembling together because it's encouraging for all of us to see your face. I've even told you to come here if you smell. Just sit over there. Just, you know, 
So I don't get like emails, hey, so-and-so smells. Just gonna throw that out there. Well, you tell them, don't give it to the pastor. <laughs> I'm serious, just make it here. Somehow make it here. What's more important than being fed? The word of God. You know what, you ready? Here it is, you ready? Oh, nothing. Nothing. What's more important than going home and reading your Bible? Nothing. What's more important than praying? Nothing. But inside that red zone, everything's wrong with those things because those things are a threat to your little way of life. That little way of life that you really still, to this day, have no intention of giving up. You're still white-knuckling it. Some way. Some little corner. You know how it is. So those that love darkness, they run from it. Again, why do you think we've lost so many people in this congregation? People don't want the truth. That I am absolutely convinced of. Up here on the board, John 3.20 in the Amplified. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. Every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. So I was thinking about this as well. Oh yeah, it was a cheery day for Ed Collins. Any misery natural man suffers is because his data set is corrupt. Just put that in, just dwell on that. Any misery natural man suffers, or a carnal, say you're being particularly carnal today, which is almost the case it feels like. Either that or you're super tired. You want to go with that? No? Nobody's like, no, I like it, no. I'm in a mood, I want you to know. <laughs> Any misery natural man suffers is because his data set is corrupt. We had pure truth, and it was just your new creature. Yay, right? Yay, be like back in the garden before the fall. Woo! And what's the difference? It's like asking a computer to spit out the right answer, but you keep feeding it bad data. You're never going to get the right output if the input is bad. To put this into spiritual terms, any misery natural man suffers is because of his own sinfulness, his own fleshly beliefs, his human doctrines. And in all fairness, it's because he was born that way. I'm not casting stones. We're all born this way. We're born with bad data set. We're born saying, right, from the crib, this is all about me. We call it egocentrism. This whole world, it revolves around me. Wah! Give me a bottle. Wah! Give me, you know, give me food. Give me, I, you know, I just poop myself. Change me. This is all about me. Is it not? The only reason a kid obeys is so they don't get punished. That's why we punish them. So that they don't act like maniacs. And kill themselves and hurt themselves. But their data set is, okay... That doesn't work. Kind of hit a boundary, so I'll stop because I don't like the pain. Not out of love for God. It's all about love for self. Self-preservation. <laughs> Take that right into we, those little jerks grow up to be big jerks. And until we're saved and God the Holy Spirit is able to impart good data into our souls, we just keep making bad decisions because our entire data set is bad. We were born that way. As such, this person's natural inclinations ought to satisfy a conscience that functions on sinful doctrines. So when he suffers, you ready? When he suffers, it's not because he has perceived offending the holy God of the universe. That's not what makes him, that's not godly sorrow like we just read. That's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. 
It's not because he has perceived offending the holy God of the universe. Rather, it's because he has offended his own flesh. Natural man isn't upset that he may have offended God. He's just upset. Possesses worldly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10. He's just upset because God won't allow him to carry on without or with impunity, without being punished. That's what he's really upset about. Why can't I just get my way? Why does a kid throw a temper tantrum? Because they don't get their own way. Oh, that's godly. Why do you throw a temper tantrum? Some of you do it to your spouses still today. Or your friends. <laughs> Why do you do that? Why are you throwing temper tantrums? Something's off, right? Doesn't sound good to me. Sounds like worldly sorrow. Sounds like a bad data set. Why are you not spending that very same moment building somebody up or living for somebody else? Or tending to someone's real need instead of someone's supposed need, which is actually a want, and causing havoc for everybody else in your life because you're trying to do that thing. What are we doing here? Bad data set. Bad data set. Fleshly person, they just get upset because God won't allow them to get away with everything that they want to. So they're frustrated. And they're angry. And they're spiteful. And they're miserable. This, my friends, is what we are dealing with. Even in Christendom today. That's the saddest thing of all. My personal belief is a sad one. But I believe there are a lot, capital L-O-T, of so-called Christians still in the flesh. Which is why they don't want to hear the truth from the Word of God. There's no thirst in them. They only want the Word of God if it provides and it pads the little red zone. That's it. That it advances their fleshly causes. That's it. That's all they want the Word of God for. That's not what Jesus wants at all. But that's, that's contemporary Christianity. So I believe there's a lot of so-called Christians still in the flesh they don't want to hear the truth from the Word of God, nor do they like honest pastors like myself who make no provision for the flesh. You know, like Holy Scripture suggests, go to Romans 13.12. Romans 13.12. I'm not about to stand up here on behalf of my Lord and Savior, my great shepherd, and lie to you. And, um, I don't know, tend to your uh, fleshly desires, your lusts, your sentiments, your human sensibilities. I'm not going to uh, sacrifice truth that way. I'm not going to insert false data. You were born with enough of it. Romans 13, 12. I'm not saying I've never done that, by the way. But that's my will. That's my motivation. Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Not one, none, none no provision. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. What's a lust? Whatever satisfies the little stuff in the red zone that you've been clinging to. Those are lusts. Whatever protects, whatever stands guard over false doctrines, false data in your soul. The things that allow you, almost in a uh, uh, premeditated way, to make bad decisions. You ever, I've seen this a million times. People purposely put truth away. La, 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 la. So they can say to themselves, I feel good about this decision. 
And when they get the truth, they say, I don't want that because then I won't be able to do this game anymore. I won't be able to play this game anymore where I can line up everything and make it look just right and polished so that the decision can be called right. Or maybe I'm, only, I'm the only manipulative jackass in this world. Maybe it's just me. But nonetheless, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Again, up here on the board, John 3.20, amplified. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. I only got three minutes left. I can't believe it. Some of you are like, booyah. I mean, I know you got to go shopping with your, you know, your number 12 jerseys and your hats and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, it's a big weekend. Super Bowl weekend. Let's get practical for a moment now with a principle towards the end of Tuesday's message up here on the board. Sorry, I don't know why that's so little. <laughs> the persistence of sin. We read Genesis 39, 7 to 12. We have an illustration of how sin doesn't just leave us alone and let us be. It pursues us. Don't be deceived and think it's not going to pursue you, even after you've had a victory over it. That's, a, I like, that's why I included this, by the way. Even after you've had a victory over it. In other words, don't turn your back. Don't ever turn your back, because sin doesn't sleep. You need to keep on gathering unto yourself good data. That's why all I keep saying to you, the last, I'm like a broken record. Read your Bible. Just keep on reading your Bible. Come to class. If class is open, come to class. Read the blogs. I mean, is this rocket science? No, just gather as much data as possible. Give your conscience something good to think about. Make good decisions for a change. You might be surprised. You got a new data set, next thing you know, the conscience is like cruising. It's on cruise control. You can't get away from bad data. You can only replace it. Your conscience never functions in a vacuum. Remember that. It, needs, it, it's not, it doesn't have that capability. Your conscience needs something to decide on. Give me data. If the only data is what it's got, what you were born with, then that's what it makes decisions on. But if you keep on learning the Word of God and you get new data, now it can make good decisions that bring glory to God instead of glory to self. All that data is designed to bring glory to you. God's data, bring glory to Him. That's why that old litmus test, and I think I'll end here, the old litmus test, the one that keeps coming back and back and back and back and back, is what I'm doing bring glory to God. Is what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about doing, what I'm planning on doing, does it bring glory to God? Even that is suspect under the guise of the deceitfulness of sin. Because for years, some of you thought, well, I was doing all this, and I thought it was bringing glory to God. Come to find out, it wasn't at all. Why? Because you went with false data. That's the importance. That's the importance of doing what you're doing right now, of reading your Bibles, of praying, asking Him for faith. Increase our faith, Lord. You can't do any of this on your own. Not one lick of it. My whole job this evening was just to encourage you. That's what it always is. I don't, I don't go pick new you know, potatoes and squash and, and put it on a plate and bring it. It's his food. I, my job is just to deliver it. Say, wake up a little bit here. This is the deceitfulness of sin. Can't get away from bad data. You can only replace it. Your conscience never functions in a vacuum. Remember that. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to study your word here this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things out and back to our own lives and out to a world that needs them so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.